we'll dig into our third week in Joseph and how fitting that we this morning look at an example of someone who did exactly what we've been hearing about this morning. He trusted. Uh, he stayed put. Regardless of what was coming around him or upon him or to him, uh, Joseph was very faithful. And so we're going to be looking this week at at Joseph's journey towards becoming uh, trusted with a household. We're going to see in just a few minutes where he ended up in Potiphar's house, who was a high-ranking military Egyptian official. And the road to that place probably wasn't what you and I would expect. But to begin, let's see where we left Joseph last. If you recall last week, we just left Joseph. He was at the end of his second dream, wasn't he? You recall that in Genesis 37? In fact, find, your, uh, find that place in Genesis 37. About verse 12. We left off at verse 11. He had just finished his second dream. He's under great ridicule by his brothers. He's probably under pressure by his father to keep it quiet. The Bible says in Genesis 37:12 that his brothers had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shechem. And so Israel, or Jacob, said to Joseph, As you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. And by the way, don't underestimate the phrase, as you know. Because if you recall, Joseph was the heir to the chair, wasn't he? Remember that? So what was his primary responsibility? To know the the situation of his of his brothers and of their sheep. So his dad was saying, listen, this is your job. And as you know, I'm going to ask you to do something that you need to be doing. So let's just kind of get on the same page, Joseph. Go find out more about your brothers. Bible says then in verse uh, 13 that he said, um, Jacob said, I'll send you to them. And he said, very well. And so he said to them, go and see, said to him, go and see if all is well with your brothers. And. With all the flocks and bring word back to me. And so he sent him off from the valley of Hebron. Here we have Joseph in Canaan doing what he did as a 17 year old boy. Listen very carefully. Here's what he did. He was a shepherd. He was a uh, kind of a uh, uh, just someone who oversaw his family. He just watched over other shepherds. Joseph's job was kind of like a reporter's job. He had to kind of look to see what was going on and check his brothers out, find out about the sheep and report back to his dad. And he did that wearing the long tunic, which indicated that was his role. He was the one next in line to take over the clan's name. So Joseph was a reporter, so to speak. And, and let me share something with you. As you read the beginning of verses of Genesis 37, the very first part of Joseph's life, you'll find that truthfulness was very important at this stage of his life. Are you with me? If there was one character trait that really climbs the ladder in these first few verses of Joseph's life, it would be that of truthfulness. He always told the truth to his dad. He reported back just what he knew. And I think as, as we look at this progression of Joseph's life, watch me, church. As we look at how God trusted him with a little until he trusted him with a lot, I think one of the very first things God looks for is someone's ability to tell The truth. We call that integrity. I want to say something to you. If in the small things you fudge, you budge, you twist the facts, 
You change the story. Can I say something? Even in the small things, if the truth is hard to find in your life, don't expect God to to increase his trust in you. Because truthfulness in the very small things is one of the very first things God looks for. I mean, all Joseph did was just oversee his brothers and report back what they were what they were doing and how the sheep were. That was a great first test, wasn't it? So Joseph had to learn to be truthful in the very small things. That's where he last left him. He's dreaming. He told the truth of his dreams, didn't he? Remember, he had these dreams. He just told him what happened in every little aspect of Joseph's life as a 17 year old boy. Truthfulness just seems to kind of ooze from him. Now, take your Bibles and look over to Genesis 39. Let's make a quick jump. Take a trip with me to Genesis 39. And let's see in verse 1 where he lands next. Genesis 39, verse 1. I'm going to start reading here. Follow along with me. The Bible says now, St. Joseph, who earlier was just a reporter, checking out 10, 11 of his brothers, reporting back to his father amidst great dysfunction. You recall that, don't you? He's in the middle of that, telling the truth. Watch this. Genesis 39, verse 1. Now, Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. And we'll discuss that phrase in a little bit. That's a long journey. But let's just catch where he is. He's now in the land of Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. Maybe he was on Pharaoh's security council. You know, maybe he was one of the top generals in their armed services division. We don't know. But he was a high ranking Egyptian military official. Well, he bought him from the Ishmaelites and had taken him to Egypt. So Joseph was owned by Potiphar and he lived in a military home. The Lord was with Joseph and he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and he became his attendant. Well, Potiphar put him in charge of his household and and he entrusted, circle that word entrusted, to his care everything he owned. In fact, from the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. And so he left everything in Joseph's care, everything he had. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything. And I love this last phrase. As a guy, amen, guys, except the food that he ate. (laughs) Can we relate to that or what? And would that not be the dream life? I don't worry about anything except what the menu is. (laughs) Is that not an awesome way to go? And thanks to Joseph. That was Potiphar's situation. His biggest concern was the menu. And Joseph handled everything else. Now watch this, guys. I do think that this progression we see in Genesis 39 is probably more than, than, than may first meet your eye. For instance, let me walk you through a couple of biblical phrases to give you a picture into what happened. I first of all want to say that if you were to add Joseph's timeline up, he was probably in Potiphar's house about 11 years. We know that um, he was in prison about two years. And we know that he was in the neighborhood of 30-something when Pharaoh appointed him as like vice president. So if you took two away from 30, I think it's 32 or something like that, you end up with about, there's about an 11-year span that he probably spent in Pharaoh, excuse me, in Potiphar's home. It was in this 11 years that I think this progression happened. Watch with me. Here he, we see him as a manager. We see Joseph in Egypt as an estate supervisor. But here's how it happened. 
I think, first of all, we see in Genesis 39.1, he was a, a traveling slave. It says that he had been bought by the Ishmaelites and he was in transit to Egypt. He gets to Egypt and then 39.1 says that, and this is kind of all in the text here, apparently Potiphar bought him from the Ishmaelites. So Joseph had been bought and sold twice, probably within a matter of six to seven months. That's some traumatic experiences, isn't it? Bought and sold twice. He lands in this foreign country, not even 19 yet probably. A young man, he's working in a military family. And so I think in verse 2, it just says he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. I think he was basically a very low-level, menial slave. But as he did low-level, menial slave tasks, something about the way he did them and the way God blessed what he did really kind of moved him up the slave ladder, shall we say. Are you with me? And the Bible says next that he became Potiphar's personal attendant in verse 4. Do you see that? I think after he became his personal attendant, later on about verse 5, it says that he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned. Do you see the progression here? From slave, kind of like personal attendant, just take care of things that relate to me, maybe my life, you know. Then he became charge of his whole household, maybe things that pertain to his wife's life. Things that pertain to the field. In fact, at the end of this uh, whole progression, we see that verse 6 says that he left in Joseph's care. Say the word with me. Everything. Say it with me. Everything. If you look at this progression, here's what you find. You find that Joseph went from being sold as a slave, doing menial tasks, all the way to supervising the estate. So Genesis 37, we see a boy... Just reporting back the truth about 10 or 11 people and a bunch of sheep. Probably less than two years later in Genesis 39, we see Joseph running the estate for a high-ranking Egyptian leader. He oversaw people. He handled the property. He made sure that the operations went right. Joseph had a pretty quick climb up the uh, slave corporate a ladder, didn't he? As you look at that, maybe you wonder to yourself, how did that happen? How did Joseph go from slave to supervisor? From reporter to manager? From Canaan to Egypt? In a word, listen very carefully. In a word, Joseph did that. God did that through Joseph because of his endurance. 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 Say that word with me. Ready? Endurance. In other words, Joseph was willing to be, listen very carefully, he was willing to be tested. Okay, quick quiz from ten minutes ago. When he was a reporter... What was vital about that role? He was willing to be what? Great, you pass. You all get A pluses. Way to go. But now as his progression has happened, as God has given him more to oversee, as God has increased his trust, something else is vital. And that is he is willing to be tested. In fact, let me show you all the tests that took place between Genesis 37 and Genesis 39. Because we tend to think, oh, great, man. Slave one day, estate manager the next. I'm in. 
And we sometimes don't see all that happened between Genesis 37 and 39. But look with me. Have your Bibles there? You got your pen handy? Circle some verses. Walk with me through these tests that happened in Joseph's life. This passageway that was packed with pressure, shall we say, that really prepared Joseph to be the estate manager he was. Genesis 37. Why don't we first of all look maybe around verse 23. Genesis 37, 23. We're kind of moving back in time. We've hit the rewind button, okay? His brothers have agreed that because he's a dreamer, verse 19, they're going to kill him. Well, Reuben steps in and says, let's don't kill him. And I think that's because Reuben was very scared of his father, by the way. If you recall, earlier in Genesis, Reuben, and I said this every week because I want you to catch this. Reuben had violated his father's trust. He had sex with his, uh, one of his father's wife's handmaids. And I think that eliminated Reuben from the biological birthright privileges. Joseph then got those. So I think Reuben was lived in fear of his dad personally. He's like, man, I don't want to cross dad again. I've already messed up once. Well, here they are going to take Joseph's life, who actually became heir apparent after Reuben. So it makes sense that Reuben would step in, wouldn't it? He's like, guys, you don't want to mess with Papa. I mean, trust me, I know. It's kind of what he's thinking, right? So he steps in to kind of plead for Joseph's life, and it works. So instead, in 23, they throw him, 23 and 24, they throw him into a cistern, a place that held water, but was apparently empty. So, hey, let's just let it hold Joseph, and we'll let him rot there. They took his robe, and you know the story. They splattered it with animal blood, and they're going to deceive their father. What an interesting turn of events. That to a young man who was consistently truthful as a young boy, it was actually lies that they told his father. His brothers were the exact opposite, weren't they? Deceitful, uh, involved in trickery. That's his first test. He's sitting in this pit, this empty water cistern, and the Bible says here that his brothers enjoyed a meal. Verse 25, you see that? That's the height of... of, um, the word like non-compassion, I'm not sure what the word there, it just slipped me, but that's just the, the epitome of someone without any concern. Hey man, we're going to enjoy food, you sit there and rot. And if you'll read later in Genesis 40, 41, when Joseph reviews this story, now don't lose me, when Joseph reviews this story with his brothers in his presence in Egypt, he actually is recorded for us that while he was in the pit, he was pleading for his life. Don't think that Joseph's in the pit like, La da 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 da, you know. How's the food, guys? The Bible says that he was pleading, guys, don't do this. And they did not listen, didn't care. Reuben stepped in, apparently, and these Ishmaelites came along. And so, here's the next test. They sold him. Now, you, you may think, this is in about verse 28. You may read that and think, ah, that's slavery, it's all in the past, it's no big deal. But let me, let me see if I can bring this home to you. What if I took Brady, Emily and Brad, and sold him today? There'd be no end to what you would do to get him back. Amen. And rightly so. Let's take Christopher, Marty, and Sheila. What if when you head back to North Carolina tomorrow to pack up your stuff and get on over here to Iowa, what if you can't find Chris and you find out the airport he had been sold? And there you see him back of the van. Mom, Dad! You know, and he's off in the child catcher van from the Chitty Chitty Bang Bang movie, right? I mean, let's put this in perspective. These brothers sold their blood. 
lot of you have siblings. I don't. Now I'm sure that you went through difficult times as sibling. I did. You did. It's kind of normal. It's not right, but it is somewhat normal. But I don't think anybody here has ever been sold to a foreign country, forsaken, betrayed. So before you read over this text and think, oh, this is a neat story, think about it. This guy was actually betrayed by his brothers, left to die. Then their greed kicked in. They said, hey, instead of letting him die, let's just sell him. We'll get a little money on the side. And this is a story of great debauchery and deceit. All this happening to Joseph. Then about verse 36, it says that these people who bought him the first time decided to sell him to someone else. And that's Potiphar. So I see at least three tests in Genesis 37 that happened to a 17-year-old boy on his way to being the estate manager. And in each test, at each turn, Joseph endured. He stayed put. He waited. He held on. He trusted. Do you remember our very first week? I showed you the correlation between trust that that it's almost it's like a two sided coin. As we trust God, He does what? He trusts us. This is the beginning of God testing Joseph, shall we say? Much like with Job, God used things around him. God doesn't bring bad things upon people. But he uses the evil that happens to us as a way to say, are you going to hold fast? And as Joseph held fast, as Joseph endured, God said, wow, Joseph, if you can make it through a pit, if you can make it through slavery, if you can make it through being forsaken and sold twice, you know what? I think managing an estate for an Egyptian military ruler probably will be a big deal to you. Have at it. As he trusted, God trusted him. Now, let me add to that something. We often see Genesis 37 and we think, wow, that's a major amount of tests for a young boy of 17. But Genesis 38, when you look at it, you think that seems like an odd chapter. It's about Tamar and, and Judah, who was the fourth of Jacob's sons, and about the incest and about the major dysfunction going. You see that and you think, what's the point? Here's what I think God's doing in this, in this passage. He's showing us that while it seems that Joseph had a tough go of it, but if he, he waited and endured and God used him, Judah did the opposite. Back home in Canaan, it was incredibly dysfunctional. There was major immorality going on. I think it's a contrast between God's man who endured, watch this, Genesis 37 and 39, and man's man who was enticed. You see, Judah couldn't wait. He couldn't keep his sexual desires under control. He couldn't wait for God. What did Joseph do in Genesis 39? He actually kept his sexual desires under control. He resisted lust to the point where he had to flee. What a contrast. And God throws Genesis 38 in there to show us, guys, it does not pay to run ahead. It does not pay to give in and live by your your feelings and your fleshly emotions. It does not pay to give in to enticement. Instead, trust me, endure. That's where the blessing is. And Joseph's road from reporter to manager, from slave to supervisor, was a road packed 
with pressures. And his only job was to endure. Now, let me bring some flesh to the word endurance or the word trials or the word testing. It means to um, wait on the Lord. It means to, to have God with you in a way that you don't give up. It's not a matter of white-knuckling it to death. You know, It's not physically grinning and bearing it. It's a, it's a disposition that because the Lord is with you, you have confidence. I'm not talking about giddiness or a pretentious type of zippity-doo-dah. I'm talking about a deep, solid confidence that God is in control. And because He's with you, you don't have to worry. In fact, can I share with you that in Genesis 39... When Joseph, look there with me again. Let's kind of fast forward to Genesis 39. When Joseph spends these 11 years in Potiphar's house. Don't lose me, okay? When he spends these 11 years in Potiphar's house, do you know the most common phrase found in these first six verses is this phrase right here. The Lord was with Joseph. So as I'm talking about endurance, as I'm showing you that after you show God that truthfulness is a is a fact of your life. Integrity will never budge. You can bank on that there will be tests. And as God uses things in your life to bring forth character, and, and as those things test you, watch this, you can make it through there, not because you have some great ability as a man, or because you have some incredible stamina as a woman, but because God is with you. He is the reason that you can endure. And that's what's missing in much of the positive talk, self-help, new age crud that's out there. When you watch Oprah, there's this new DVD out called The Secret. We're going to talk more about it in, in the summer with our series in Galatians. I mean, Neil Donald Walsh, there's a number of figures and political people. And they want to make you think that you've got the ability to endure. Can I say something to you? You don't have any kind of backbone. I don't either. There is nothing good in your flesh. If it weren't for God, all of us would be seeking our own way. We'd be using friendships, abusing relationships. We'd be deceiving others. We'd be just like the the ten who were trying to get rid of Joseph. You have nothing good within you. Paul said that in Romans. But when God enters the picture, He puts a rod of steel in your spine. You know why? Because He says, Hey, Todd, guess what? There's the rod of steel and it's filled with the Spirit. I am with you, so don't Worry. And that's some of a picture. Don't think I'm saying this. the Holy Spirit is still in your spine. No, don't take me literally there. I'm playing with words a little bit. I don't want to give a card later that talks about my bad theology, okay? I'm, I'm painting a picture for you. It's God that gives you the ability to endure. And without God, we would not be able to endure. Let me give you two verses real quickly. Write these down. Matthew 28, before Christ left, what did he say to his disciples? Matthew 28, 20. He said, listen, go and make disciples. We love the Great Commission. But the last phrase is what? And behold, I am when? Till when? Yeah. Guess what? Lindsay, God is always with you. Always. Tomorrow when you go to work and you're like, you know, I need to really share Christ. I need to to be the right kind of friend or I should... Build relationships and really establish bridges to people because, man, I'm, I'm God's ambassador. When you're doing that, Lindsay, you're not alone. God is with you 24-7. He's even with you more than Nate is. 
I could go from person to person, man, woman, wife, husband, single, teenager. Guess what? God is ever present. Not only did Christ say that, but the writer of Hebrews, which I think was Timothy, he says in Hebrews 13, 5, he says, keep yourselves from the love of money. And be content with what you have, as Hebrews 13, 5. And be content with what you have, because he said, and you may know the verse, I will never leave you or forsake you. Guess what? God is with you when money isn't. Amen? God is with you when your spouse isn't. God is with you when your friends aren't. God is with you all the time. He never slumbers or sleeps. He is sovereign and providential. He is in control of the affairs of man. So if you have reason to wonder, and if you're thinking, man, I'm worried, stop worrying. God is with you. And He's in control. That fact alone, based on Matthew 28, Genesis 39, Hebrews 13, 5, tells me something. Listen, church, listen, first family. I can endure. You can make it. You can make it. Not because you've got some neat church. Not because your pastor this or your small group leader this. Trust me, we're human. We will let you down. Don't nod too much there, okay? Just give me worry here, Lori. I'm telling you, you know. The truth is we will. There's nothing good in me. I'm human like you guys are. We're a body of believers trying to walk this road and follow God's call that he's placed upon us. We're consumed with, with being faithful to him. But, you know, we're still all very human. I'll make some of you mad this week. I know I will. Some of you will make me mad this week. So there you go. It's kind of a two-way street. Amen. I mean, there's going to be things happen because our humanness will rise up. Our flesh will kick in. And we'll apologize and we'll get through it. But guess what? God will never let you down. So take your eyes off the horizontalness of our, of our Christianity. Man, that's so American. It's so churchified. Take your eyes off this level. Man, lift your head upward to a God who never sleeps. To a God who loves you unconditionally. Who says, I am with you always. Man, focus on Him and His character. Let His sovereignness, His ability to envision your life and His ability to be with you consistently give you great hope and reason to endure. That's why Joseph could endure. Because Jesus, because God was with him. Now, I want to show you the New Testament verse that kind of sums up Joseph's first two, three, maybe 11 years. Turn over to James real quickly. James chapter 1. And I want you to see in these two verses a beautiful picture of the life of Joseph. Actually, a beautiful summary of the life of Joseph is a better way to say it. James chapter 1. I know we had some small groups just finish the book of James, so you should be right already about three steps ahead of me. James 1, verse 2. Look what it says here. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. Man, is that not the life of Joseph in the first, what, two, three years? The cistern, the prison, the betrayal, the slavery. James says here to count it pure joy 
Why? Verse three, because, you know, the testing of your faith develops perseverance. So as we are tested, as our faith is under fire, then we are given the ability to endure. Did you catch that? Endurance or perseverance, same word, comes as a result of trials and tests. And then as those things take their toll, so to speak, as those things work their magic, I'll use that phrase. Verse four says that perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. When I read those verses, I think about Joseph, who underwent many tests, but he endured and perseverance truly did the work in Joseph's life, didn't it? Because at the end, about 30 something, Joseph's in Egypt. And I say this humbly about Joseph, but it appears from what we read in Scripture. He was completely mature, lacking nothing to the extent that when his family was in dire need, he sacrificed. He was so secure and mature in his walk in relationship. He didn't feel threatened or the need to get back or get revenge. He felt totally secure in God's um, approval of him. And when his family was in need, he said, I'll help you out. And he actually brought his family back from Canaan. Established him in Goshen, the best part of Egypt. A less than secure individual, someone with revenge on their mind, would never have been able to do that. But because perseverance did its work in Joseph's life, guess what? When the time came and he met up again with all those folks who caused him pain, all those uh, tests personified, guess what he did? He smiled and he extended a hand of compassion. Therein lies the test of maturity. Listen very carefully, church. When you can get back at people who were part of the tests that you went through, and if you choose to, then you have not, the perseverance has not done any work in you. You're not complete. But when you can look and love those very ones who were part of those tests, man, it sounds to me like maturity is right where it ought to be. Isn't that like Jesus? On the cross to those who crucified him. What did he say? Remember our study in Luke? He said, Father, forgive them. Give them one more chance, God. I plead for them. You see why Joseph and Jesus are such corollary Old Testament and New Testament examples. Endurance. We see it in James. It's possible because of the Lord's presence. It's exemplified in Joseph. Staying put. Enduring. Now, let me take these first two weeks and show you something very interesting. I want you to watch the screen behind me. I want to show you the word truth for a minute, okay? The very first part about Joseph's life was that he was truthful. So, if you take the word truth up top, we'll go to this next if we can. There we go. There's the word truth. And then let's go to the next one, which is the word test, which is what we've seen today. If you combine those two, watch what you get. Let's, show, let's roll this beautiful bean footage, can we? When you're truthful and tested, if you will remain under, if you'll stay put, if you'll endure, guess what? You'll become like Joseph, a trusted person. Violate either one of these components. Fudge the truth, get around the corner. If you're less than squeaky clean, truth's gone. Run away from the trial. Get mad and God and complain, you'll not pass the test. But if you will be truthful when you're tested and you'll endure, you know what will happen? God will see in you a trustworthiness that he will then grant you. Watch this. And I believe this. 
This will sound a little funny to some of you. God will grant you a larger platform and, and, and he'll, he'll trust you with more stuff. It could be more lives. I don't mean stuff like possessions, but it could be a, a greater oversight of people because he knows he can trust you. It may be that God will, will grant you a larger impact with your finances. It could be that God will grant you a larger impact with your voice. It could be that, that God will give you a, just it could be in different ways. But I believe that based on the life of Joseph, that when God sees in us a truthfulness and a willingness to endure tests, he then says, if you've been faithful in little things, I will make you faithful in many things. That's the word of God for us. And some of the reason, listen very carefully. Some of the reason we find our lives at roadblocks, at hurdles we can't get over, is because we're violating one of these two components in the life of Joseph. Our integrity is in question. We're finding ways around the truth. Or we're just, we're just way too jittery. And the least little problem happens, we run. We squirm away. It takes both. And when they both begin to happen, in God's time, He will trust us with more. The problem is there, we want to make it our time, don't we, Greg? Okay, God, I endured last night. Success today, please, you know. <laughs> like, I'm ready, God. But what I tell you the first week, God owns no microwaves. So you've got to keep that in mind as we study through Joseph, that our timetables are often different. And God will spend years sometimes using truthfulness and then the test to wait for the right time to say, okay, Nate, okay, I know I can trust you now. And so I found in the scriptures, typically, when the door opens, you'd better hang on because, man, it opens wide. Moses went back to Egypt, remember Moses? Deliver the children of Israel. What? Four million people? I had a few shepherds in the, de- a few sheep in the desert. Four million whiny, complaining people? I mean, look at Paul. He was saved. He went to spend some time in the desert. And then suddenly, God said, Oh, Paul, I need you to tell all the Gentiles that the gospel reaches them too. All the Gentiles? I mean, you, you watch God's work. When he is, when he's like, Hey, I can trust you. You endure. You tell the truth. Typically, God was just like, Boom! And I've known people so afraid of success, so afraid of spiritual favor by God, that when those things are going to happen, they sabotage their own uh, situation. God wants to use you in an incredibly mighty way. Think about that phrase. God wants to use you in His kingdom for purposes way beyond your life. Don't let that scare you back into the closet. Don't let that fear, perhaps, make you then stop telling the truth or stop enduring. Man, stay put. Have integrity. And when God opens the door, let's walk through it and trust Him for incredible things. Believe. I was thinking about the idea of enduring this week. And being faithful. Trusting. I happened to see an article in the paper about a donkey here in Iowa on some farmer's land. Did you happen to see this? I don't see anybody that saw this same article I did. Yeah, I saw this article about a donkey on this guy's land. And he fell into this old well. No one saw this? My goodness, I can't believe it. Well, the farmer decided that the donkey was just too old. 
He thought about saving him and rescuing him, but he thought, you know what? He's too old. It's probably going to cost too much money. So the paper said he called his neighbors and he's going to bury the donkey alive. Just going to fill the will up. The will should be closed anyway. So he said, hey, guys, grab a shovel. So all the neighbors came over. You didn't read this? They started just shoveling dirt on the animal. And the donkey's making incredible noises. I'm not sure how they sound, but terribly pitiful noises. And then suddenly the noises stopped. And all the farmer and his friends just keep shoveling dirt on the back of the donkey. They're going to bury him alive. Because, hey, he's too old, costs too much, we don't need him. But all the noises stopped. So they peered over the edge of the well. And the donkey, every time the dirt would hit, he would shake it off, take a step up. I didn't really read this. You're ahead of me, right? You're not that gullible, I know. Hey, the point is this. When folks try to throw dirt on you and bury you, just shake it off and use it. Endure it. Let God use that stumbling block as a stepping stone in your life. Story goes, uh, they kept shoveling dirt. Donkey got ground level. Trot it right off. Said thanks. Seriously. What you may think are incredible tests. Massive injustices. Things aren't right. You know what? From our perspective, from our level, perhaps that would be humanly correct. But from God's domain, as he is sovereignly envisioning your future, who knows that perhaps the dirt men throw could very well be the stepping stones you need to rise to ground level and finally say, hey, thanks. And just trot off and be who God made you to be. But it won't happen if we don't endure. If we don't stay put. In fact, you know the word endurance in Scripture is the combination of two Greek words. And a lot of you will know this. It's the word to remain and it's the word under. I mean, can we have a clear picture of what the word endurance remain, uh, means? It means to remain under. So to help you visualize this, I'm going to ask you ushers to give you something as we close today. You're going to have a little white, um, little container. going to be passed around. There's six of them. I want you to just reach in there and grab a watermelon seed. I've got one with me. I had one with me. Let me find it. It's somewhere around here. I got it. It's small. Here we go. So they're going to uh, pass these white containers out. Just grab one watermelon seed and hold on to it. Okay? I want you to hold on to it all week, in fact. Because I want to show you what we normally like to do. And this week, instead of doing what we normally do... Every time you feel this watermelon seed, just say this. Say, God, I'll stay put. I will remain under. Or you could say it, Lord, I will endure. Okay? So they're being passed around. Grab your watermelon seed. And let's just be willing for a few moments to think about things that we have to endure. I was thinking about one last Christmas. Sarah and Josh Swing, when their little little girl, um, excuse me, Josh and Kaylin Wing, excuse me, their daughter's name was Sarah. You know, it, I mean, how do you explain the death of a baby? You can't. So you just you just there with them, you know, and you just sit with them, and um, I, I don't know, I don't know what you do with that, except I guess you just endure it. You know, I think about the slayings at Virginia Tech. 
I don't know the spiritual status of any of those people, but I do know God. And I trust him. And I just trust God. And so somewhere in all that tragedy, the Lord can work that towards his purposes. I think about the three missionaries that were uh, killed recently in Turkey. I think it's eastern Turkey. Many of you may have seen that. Very gruesome and graphic. Faye and uh, Faye, she knows about them. That's the part of the country Faye's going to in a few months. We've got three of our members headed there this summer. Mark Hintz, who went over to Turkey a few years ago. Uh, his, the group he went with, Taco. Uh, they know the same missionaries. They captured them, tortured them, slit their throats. I, I can't make I can make no sense of that. Okay. But you don't quit. You don't just stop. You stay put. You endure. And I went through our our, uh, our database this week, just thinking about you guys and the different trials. I think about Gary and Angie and this home thing you guys have endured for several months. I don't understand any of that. I don't know why that happened. You know. I think about different people who are going to be moving and probably didn't want to move, but their job demands them. I, I don't know why that happens. I mean, as I, as I prayed through you guys, I began to realize I don't really have a lot of answers. Think about Lori and Rich and that cancer thing recent, uh, a few years ago or whatever. I mean, I could go from person to person. And I realized, God, I don't, I don't have the ability to pastor these people. I have no answers. I can't explain why things happen in their life. And he said, of course you can't. You don't need to. He said, I'm their God. He said, let me shepherd them. He said, after all, Todd, you're just an under shepherd. Like, OK, God, I know my role. You're right. And he said, why don't you just encourage people to, to stay put and let me handle their life, their situation. Just encourage people to stay put. And here's why I gave you this seed. Normally, you have these things that are wet, aren't they? You ever done this when they were wet? You put your pressure between. Hold it like this, okay? You put pressure between the thumb and the forefinger. What happens? Yeah, you can shoot them out. You know, like that. Now, I know you have watermelon seed spitting contests. So don't put it in your mouth right now, okay? But just hold it like this. And when the pressure is applied, normally if it's wet, it will just squirt out. I'm encouraging you this week not to do that. So carry this with you. Put it in your wallet. Maybe duct tape it to your cell phone. Put it in your pocket. Put it in your dashboard. On your dresser, your mirror, somewhere. And every time you either feel or see the watermelon seed, think about Joseph and how for a number of years he endured. He didn't, when the pressure was applied, he didn't squirt out, did he? He didn't run away. But he was, he was faithful. He remained under. And the pressure that was applied actually made him into what God wanted him to be. Perfect, complete, mature. Just what God had envisioned. God sovereignly works in your life. Don't run away. Stay put, Christian brother and sister. Trust Him, my friend. Now, while you're holding that, I want us to let the Word of God continue to, to dwell in us richly. And you know our church. We make no bones about it. This is what we teach and preach. And we're pretty intense about it. We like it that way. So let's end this morning understanding the concept, the principle, seeing it in Joseph's life. And let's let the word of God actually be our most convicting agent. 
I want you to read some verses out loud with me about endurance and see what God's goal is for you. Okay? Got your seed with you? Thumb, forefinger? Let's read what God says about endurance as we close. The verses are behind me. I think the first one's here in Hebrews. Let's all read this together, shall we? Here we go. Let us run with endurance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down on the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Amen. Man, read Job 23.10 with me. Ready? Let's read it real strongly, guys. But he knows the way that I take. And when he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. Let's all read together this verses, these verses in James. Here we go. Ready? Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Then my favorite in Romans chapter 15, verses 4 and 5. This is an awesome set of verses. Hold your seed between your thumb and forefinger. And let's read what God is teaching us. Ready? For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus. This week, we can be unified in our in, in almost like corporate endurance. We can make it, guys. Individually and as a church. We we serve a God who gives endurance. We follow a Savior who actually endured. There's no reason to quit. Joseph endured. And God took him from Canaan to Egypt. And through a series of pressurized tests, brought forth maturity in Joseph that a lot of us ought to shoot for. It came through endurance. Oh, my sister and brother, will you endure this week? Let the seed remind you to stay put. For that's when God does His best work. Let's pray.